All right, so I'm going to start off with a question, and here's what I want you to do. Very respectfully, I want you to just kind of shout out your answers, right? Question's easy. You've been asked this question probably a whole bunch of times if you've ever been to Sunday school. So here's my question. Who is Jesus? Son of God. What else? Messiah. Emmanuel. What else? A really cool dude. Yes. King of Kings. What? He brings salvation. Yeah. What are some other things you know about Jesus? Tell me who Jesus is. Like, who is he? He is God. Yes. He's power. He's love. The lamb. Okay. Anything else about Jesus? You know, like where he was born? (laughs) Yeah. All right. He grew up in Nazareth. Right, right, right. All right. How did he die? Through crucifixion on a cross, right? A Roman cross. What did his death do? It saved us. Took the punishment for us. He defeated sin and death. Yes, you know lots of awesome stuff about Jesus. I'm very, very thrilled to hear that. I was kind of nervous. It would just be like, be really quiet. But I love that you guys love Jesus. And I love that you know things about Jesus. Because this whole book that we just started last week in Hebrews is written um, with this message. Jesus is better than everything. He's better than everything. There's nothing you could fill in that blank that would be better than Jesus. He's the best. And so the author of Hebrews is going to bring us through this entire book, repeating that over and over, but proving it to us. He's not just going to say it and like leave it out there and be like, there you go, that's it. He's going to be like, all right, I'm going to prove why Jesus is better. Why is he the best? If you've walked with Jesus for any amount of time, you have probably had a conversation with a friend who's been like, why? Like, why do you follow Jesus? Why do you go to church? Why do you read the Bible? Why do you think Jesus is worth that? And I just wonder, like, are you able to answer that? When friends ask you why Jesus, are you able to say, here's why? Here's why he's better than anything else you could pursue in your life. Here's why he's better than any like shiny thing that might call out your name and attract you. Like Jesus is literally the best thing I could live for. I've devoted my whole life to him. So here's the answer why. Now we have an entire book called the book of Hebrews giving us reasons why Jesus is the best. I love that. There's nothing better to preach on than just that message. Jesus is better than everything Because I believe it in my heart too, and I've seen it in my life. So I love to walk through this book. So we already walked through kind of verse one and a half of verse two. So we're going to pick up, we'll just start at the beginning of two. If you want to open there, Hebrews one, verse two with me. And we're going to read verses just two and three tonight. It says, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. We read that last week. We studied that. And here's where we pick up. Whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That's only a verse and a half. And my mind is like just blown at how incredible Jesus is. Just these couple descriptions that the author gives us about who Jesus is. 
Did you hear some of these things? They're not these small little things. Like, he's a cool dude. He's a prophet. He said some sweet stuff that you end up on a coffee mug and hopefully will cheer you up in your day. This is like earth-shaking, universally big things about Jesus. These are mind-blowing things about who Jesus is and why he's better than everyone and everything else. That's only a verse and a half. We're only three verses into Hebrews right now, and we're already having our minds blown by who Jesus is. So pick up with me. Let's pick up in the middle of verse 2 there, and let's look at that. He says, whom he appointed heir of all things. Now, that word heir, some of you might know, some of you might not know, but an heir is someone who inherits Something. If you have a relative who passes away, they have a will that they write down all these things and say, when I die, I want so-and-so to have my car and so-and-so to have my house. And they leave certain things. And those people are called heirs. They're inheriting these things. And it says that Jesus is an inherit. He's going to have inheritance, right? He's an heir. And it says, of all things. <laughs> it's not just like this list of a few cool things Jesus gets because he's He's cool. Like, Jesus inherits everything. If he inherits everything, doesn't that include you? Doesn't that include your life, your heart, your soul? God is going to give Jesus as an inheritance everything in the universe, including us. We're part of that inheritance that Jesus is going to get. It's really bad news for some people who don't believe in Jesus and they don't want to have anything to do with him, right? And they'd like try to turn their back on him because they will still be inherited by Jesus and have to one day stand here and be like, okay, I guess I'm yours, but like, I didn't want to be. Philippians 2 talks to us about two types of people, right? That it says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Some people will bow against their will. Some people will be inherited by King Jesus against their will. And others of us who follow Christ will happily with open arms be like, I'm yours. I've already given you my heart and life. I can't wait to be yours forever and be in your presence in heaven forever. Like we look forward to that, but not everyone will be in that boat. But all of us, will be part of that inheritance because there's nothing that Jesus won't inherit. He gets all of it. Now, I'm going to prove this to you. Revelation 5, verses 1 to 7, is this passage talking about when this actually is going to take place. All right, so let me read some to you. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, and it was sealed with seven seals. Now, in Roman law... A will would be sealed with seven seals. So we know this was a will. The scroll was literally a will listing inheritance on it that was being opened up. And as these seals are being broken, look what happens. Verse 2, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. 
Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. This is Jesus that's being described here in the last days that are still to come, that we're still waiting on. This will, this scroll is sitting here in the hands of God, and Jesus is the only one who's worthy to go and take it and open it up. Revelation 6 is all of a sudden this tribulation begins, and one by one these seals starting start to get broken open. Each one is closer and closer to Jesus, inheriting all things that exist. And then we get to Revelation eleven fifteen, and hear what happens. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And at that climax, at that moment in Revelation eleven fifteen, Jesus has fully inherited all things. This is a description, a prophecy of what will happen. Something that we're waiting on one day. As Jesus returns to earth and claims everything back for his, this isn't just a cute story that John wrote with a nice little moral or lesson to it. This is our future. This will happen one day. As Jesus returns bodily to stand in front of us and to open this scroll and claim us, all things, it says, the entire universe as his. And look what it says next. It says in Hebrews, and through whom also he made the universe. So not only does he inherit all things, right? But he's the one who made all things. He deserves it. It's his. Did you know the second person of the Trinity, the son, Jesus was the one that actually did the interacting. His voice is what spoke the universe into existence. This is what it says right here. I'm going to take you to John 1.3. It says, through him, talking about Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So we know that Jesus is responsible for everything. He was the one who created, and then we broke it. And then Jesus came back, and he died on a cross to fix it and redeem us and say, I can make this right. I love you. He gives his only life, and he raises again in three days back to life. He defeats death and sin. I'm making this right. I'm claiming you for my own. And then in Revelation, we see he does. He inherits us all back through his death and resurrection. He breaks those seals open of his creation that he's responsible for, the entire universe that he's made. Jesus has the power to create with a word everything that's ever existed. His mere word does that. I love that because when we talk about the universe, it's so mind-blowing, right? There's, it's so powerful and so huge. So you think, like, if, if the universe is that powerful, how powerful must Jesus be? More so, right? Because, like, he made this powerful thing. He must be more powerful than it to bring it into existence. Jesus' power is mind-blowing, There were some scientists, they are not Christians, they are secular scientists that have famously said things over the years and are known for their accomplishments. This first guy, his name's A.K. Morrison, all right? A.K. Morrison was a scientist, and here's what he said. He said that it would take billions and billions of minute interrelated circumstances, 
happening simultaneously, which means at exactly the same moment for things to be in existence. And he does the math, and he's thinking through the math and the probability of it, and he says it's outright impossible that all of that could happen in the exact same moment. For life to continue to exist now, it's mathematically impossible, but yet it is. Here we are. There's another guy, his name was Sir John Eccles, and he was a Nobel laureate. He won this really big popular science award, right, in neurophysiology. This guy says that the odds of the right combination of circumstances so that intelligent life could actually evolve on earth is absolutely absurd. He said you would have to be insane to believe it. But he says, nevertheless, it happened. It will never happen ever again on any other planet and any other solar system in the universe, statistically, for it to even happen once is insane, but to happen twice is impossible. And yet here we are. These aren't Christians. These aren't guys who were proponents for, for God or have any sort of theology other than science. But they're recognizing a truth that it was literally impossible for things to just fall together. That there was a creator, a designer, someone who planned this entire thing and caused it to happen. But they won't say that it was a God. Luckily, you and I know better. Luckily, you and I have come in contact with God himself through scripture, through the Bible, through Jesus, who's told us, this is what I've done. This is why scientists think that, because I've done a thing. I've made this happen through my son, Jesus Christ. It did occur, he says, but couldn't happen anywhere else. And just look at, like, look at the universe, right? Start in your own heart. Look at the human heart. The human heart beats 800 million times in a normal lifetime on average. 800 million times. So someone did some math. I thought it was pretty cool. They said if you took all that blood for each pump and filled up railroad like, like a train carts and filled it all up with that amount of blood, it would reach, that train would reach from New York City to Boston full of blood. That's how much work your heart does just in your short lifetime. What an incredible body you have. And, and, and check this out. Your brain, right? Your brain in just about that much what can fit in between my two fingers there, a cubic half an inch, is enough to hold all of the memories of your entire lifetime. Your brain is so powerful. How? It didn't just fall together. There was a designer who made it that way, who willed you into existence, who spoke it, this entire universe into existence. And it's his plan. Think about space, right? I love to think about space. The North Star is 400 billion miles away. Can you even comprehend a billion miles? Like, my mind's blown just thinking about the distances in space, but that's literally nothing. The star Betelgeuse is 880 quadrillion miles from us. Its diameter is 250 million miles that's how big this thing is. It's greater than Earth's orbit around the sun. Like, these are massive, powerful things in the universe. And they didn't just fall together. An even more massive and powerful God willed them into existence. 
Imagine the power of Jesus with a word could create everything. With a word, he speaks it into existence. Your Savior is powerful. I think he's trustworthy. I think if he can do that, I could take my fears and my doubts and the problems in my life, and I could say, Jesus, I could trust you with these. Can you hold them for me? I think you've got this. You hold the entire universe in existence. And that's all we know about, right? That's only what we've been told about. Who knows what else he's doing? This infinite creator God. He's powerful, and I hope you trust him. Verse 3 says in Hebrews, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. And it's not talking about the sun in the sky. It's the sun, second person of the Trinity, Jesus. He is the radiance of God's glory. Not only will he inherit all things, not only has he created all things, but he is the radiance of God's glory. And that word radiance means to send out light. And Jesus literally is the way we know God. He is the light of God. God sent his light into the world so that we would know him. So we can look at Jesus and look at the face of God himself. So we can have this personal, intimate relationship with him. He's radiating the presence of God. John 1.18 says this. No one has ever seen God but the one and only son who is himself God. And is in closest relationship with the father. He's made him known. We know God because of Jesus. Because when we look at his face, we see God's glory. Because when we see Jesus, we're actually looking at God himself. He's not just some really good prophet, some really powerful being. He's not some angel or some created thing. He was not ever created. He's always existed as God. The second person of the trinity of God. He's his radiance. His light. And his face. Then it says this next. He is the exact representation of his being. Some people might even think, and and maybe you have at some point, thought of Jesus like this. Like, there's God the Father, and he's super smart, has this big gray beard, and he, like, kind of controls everything. He's kind of who we call God. And then there's the Holy Spirit, and he shows up to make us really happy and jump around and sing good music. And, like, Holy Spirit does cool stuff and miracles, and he's awesome, but he's kind of, like, he does God's bidding. And then there's Jesus who, like, came down, and he's, like, the cool one that, like, walk with us and, like, talk with us and can relate to us. But sometimes we don't necessarily see them as equal. And what this is telling us is all three are equal. He is the exact representation of his being. It doesn't just look like God. Literally, his essence, that word being means his essence, who he is. He is God exactly That word exact representation comes from the original words there. It means like a stamp. And they would take a stamp and stick it into wax on a letter. And that wax would kind of take the the form of whatever's on the bottom of the stamp as you press it in there. And you would see the exact image that you saw on that stamp. It was formed by the exact thing. What this is saying is there's no difference. He's not lesser. He is God. Colossians 1.15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn over all creation. We would go eternity wondering, what does God look like? <laughs> Except there's Jesus, who's come to us, he's taken human form, he stepped into flesh to walk among us and live among us. And when we look at Jesus, we see the face of God. Not some lesser version, but the exact imprint, the representation of who God is. Like, it's his very image. That word image comes from the word icon, which means a precise copy. Literally, it's talking about the essence of the thing, not just like his face looks like God, but like his entire being is God. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, which means like Godhood, lives in bodily form. Jesus is lacking nothing. He is fully God. So if someone says to you, like, I believe Jesus is a cool guy. He wrote some cool books. He did some cool things on earth. He might even motivate you to live a better life. Jesus is cool, but I don't think he's God. I'm not even sure your Bible says he's God. There's like five verses for you to bring those people to and say, but the Bible literally says he is God and not just a little bit under God, but he is literally the fullness of the deity, the fullness of God. There's nothing lacking in him. He is 100% God while he now is 100% man. Jesus is awesome, right? Like, so many reasons to go, Jesus really is better than everything. Like, what could be better than Jesus? He's more powerful, more creative, more amazing. He literally is God himself. There is nothing better than Jesus, but it gets better because he keeps going. And he says this, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Well, he just proved how powerful Jesus is. He's like, he made everything. Look at the universe, how incredible it is. He's more powerful. And listen, with that powerful word, he doesn't just make it all. He sustains it. It means he holds it all together. We wouldn't exist if Jesus stopped thinking about us. If he stopped willing us to be here, we would just not be here. Jesus literally sustains us and holds everything in existence. Think about gravity. We know that if gravity just somehow stopped working, everything would just fly off this planet. We'd just start floating off into space. That'd be really bad news for us, right? We'd be drowned first probably by the oceans that would just pour over and drown us and suffocate us to death. Gravity is pretty important. So if it just stopped one day, things would go crazy. We would die. Think about the sun. It has a surface temperature of 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Like, that's super hot, right? If it were just a little bit closer or further away, we're not here. But the earth happens to be in this perfect Goldilocks zone, right where God placed it, right where Jesus wanted it to be and spoke it to be so we could have life. Our globe is tilted on an angle at 23 degrees exactly. Like, this perfect tilt... Because if not, the vapors of the oceans would just travel up into the poles and the world would basically just be covered in ice, be frozen. There would be no life on earth. The moon that you get to see go up every single night, it goes around us perfectly. And if it was out of kilter a little bit, you know what would happen? All of the ocean's tides would basically tsunami over all of the land on earth twice a day. 
wiping out all life on our planet. All of these little tiny details. All of these things that just fell into place according to scientists. We know that Jesus is literally sustaining every single one of those details. Billions and billions, countless numbers of details so that we could be alive. So that our universe could go forward. It's unbelievable the type of power that takes. And yet we know that Jesus has it. So let me ask you a personal question. Do you have a hard time giving control of your life to Jesus? Do you have a hard time trusting him with the things in your life? You know, what's, what's that one thing where you're like, you know, Jesus, I can't let you hold this thing. Because I'm not sure what you'll do with it. That boyfriend or girlfriend that you have, that if, if that got taken away from you, you'd be looking at God like we have problems. Like you and me, we're not good right now because how could you do that? How could you take that away from me? And we won't even trust that relationship into the hands of God because we're like, I'm scared of what you'll do. Instead of looking at God and going, you know so much better than me. You're so much stronger to hold this thing exactly where you want it to be. Everything in my life, my relationships, my health, my family, my future, everything, Jesus, I can take it all and I can hand it to you because you can control this entire universe. You hold it together. At every millisecond that passes, you are actively holding it into existence. I can trust you with everything in my life. You know why? Because he's already doing it. He's already in control of it. You think he doesn't think about you all day long? All night long when you close your eyes and lay your head in your pillow, Jesus is aware of you. He's thinking about you. He's with you. You never escape his sight. Then why do we have such a hard time trusting him with our lives? We know he loves us. He went to a cross and gave his own life because of his love for you. He's worthy of your trust. He's worthy of you looking up and going, Jesus, take it all. <laughs> I want to put it in your hands and just trust you with it. And that's exactly what this author says he does. Look at this, the last part we're going to read tonight. He says, after he had provided purification for sins. All right, stop there for a second. Jesus loves us so much that he went to a cross to give his life for you. The purification for sins that it's talking about here is the sacrifice that Jesus made. Why? Because Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. Without Jesus, I hate to tell you tonight, but there is no other option for you but eternal death. There's no hope for you after this life. Because God has made one way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's yours. That's the good news. He loves you enough to say, here I am. Here's my only son. And he's made purification for that sin that you're guilty of and that I'm guilty of. He's that sacrifice that pays what you and I can't do. We're not good enough. We're not strong enough. We're definitely, as we see here, not powerful enough to pay for sin. We don't have what it takes. But Jesus says, I do, and I will, and I love you, and he's done it. Do you believe that tonight?
And listen, I'm talking to people who maybe you've never accepted Jesus. You never prayed and said, God, I want you to take my heart and forgive me of my sin. Maybe that's you tonight. But maybe I'm also talking to a group of people here tonight who've done that. And yet you're still living like he hasn't done this thing. You're not trusting him with your whole life. You prayed a prayer, but you haven't taken your life and said, I want you to have all of me. Put it in your hands. Hold it. Be in charge of it. You're still reserving all this stuff back and living like in a safe little way for yourself where you feel comfortable instead of just going, Jesus, it's all yours. I'm letting it free. I'm giving it to you. I want to see you do unbelievable things in my life I can't do on my own. Let's do this. Maybe you, person here tonight that's already a believer, already a Christian, already prayed that prayer. You're living that way. You're not handing it over. You're reserving it back. You're scared. And maybe tonight you need to say, take it all. Take the whole thing. I want you to put it in your hands and be in charge of my life. Live like he's actually purified you, changed you, and transformed you. The verse, verse 2 ends with this. It says, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That purification, the sacrifice that Jesus made. See, the priests in the Old Testament they had to keep doing them. They didn't even have chairs like in that area where they worked because they were never going to sit in them. Their work was never done. People kept sinning. And as people kept sinning, they had to keep doing the sacrifice that wasn't, it wasn't permanent. It was temporary. And so their job was never done. They could never sit. But it says here clearly that Jesus sits down because his one sacrifice was big enough and strong enough and powerful enough to pay for every sin. Once and for all done, Jesus is that much better. Better than even the sacrificial system. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. He's better than everything. And so when you do take your heart and you hand it up to Jesus and say, will you take this? He does. And it's once for all. It's powerful enough to wash the entire thing as white as snow, to take all the broken pieces and put them back together better than new, and to bring you to a life you've never even thought you could have. And the first step is going before Jesus, confessing your sin, and saying, I'm trusting you with the whole thing. I want to be yours. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Simple questions tonight. It's just what we've been talking about. Maybe there's somebody here tonight and you would say, That's me. <laughs> I have not taken the whole package and given it to Jesus. Or maybe at one point I did, but I find myself, when I look up right now, I'm like, man, I'm holding things back. I'm not trusting Jesus to have it all in his hands and be in control of it. There are things that I'm like, don't touch it. God, don't touch that. But maybe tonight you're willing to make a stand. You're willing to open your heart up to God and say, I want you to be in charge. I want to hand over control of this to you because you deserve it. Because Jesus, you really are better. 
There's nothing better. If that's you tonight, like, I believe in Jesus, but I need to hand some stuff back over to him tonight. I want him to be fully in charge of my life. Would you just have the courage right now to raise your hand and say, that's me. Pray for me because I want to do that. I want him to have all control in my life. I'm ready to live that way. Slip your hand up so I can see it. Yes. Anyone else, would you join these people with their hands up and say, that's me. That is awesome. If you have your hand up right now, I'm going to pray for you in just a second. We're going to ask God to do that in your heart. You can put your hands down for one second, but let me ask one more question before I close. Maybe you've never surrendered your heart and said, Jesus, will you forgive my sin? Thank you for dying on that cross for me. Thank you for being the perfect sacrifice. Maybe tonight you need to pray that and you need to say, Jesus, I want to be forgiven. I want to belong to you. I want to be saved. If that's you tonight, would you slip your hand up and just, just say, Rob, would you pray for me? That's me. I want to know my sins are forgiven. I want to know that one day when I stand in heaven, that Jesus says, hey, why should I let you in? I could say, because you've saved me. Because you've done the work. Would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me, Rob. Would you pray for me tonight? I want to know Jesus is my Savior. Father, we love you so much. and I thank you for passages like this, God. Books like this in Hebrews. Tell us how incredible you really are. It's like you pull back the curtain for a second and we get to glimpse how unbelievably awesome you are, God. Don't ever let our hearts grow bored or tired or used to you. Would you every day awaken us to your power and your love and your mercy? For those who raise their hands, God, they're asking for that. They're saying we want to encounter you in a fresh way. God, tonight, these people are saying they want their hearts to belong to you. Would you do the work in them? Would you bless them? Father, cause them to leave this place different, starting now, this moment, in this second, that your Holy Spirit would fill them. You'd fill their heart. You'd fill their mind. You'd cause them to think differently and speak differently and feel differently, knowing that your powerful arms are around them and they belong to you. Help us live like it. We love you. Be blessed as we worship you right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.